Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of Voo Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. And literally what I love about this collection of talks, Dakota, Dakota preached a fire message. Like seriously, that thing resonated in my heart and we got to talk about it at Crew. And really what I love about this collection is talking about endurance. And I think we all can agree that there's something that we had to endure this year. We all had to endure a pandemic, whether you had to endure job loss or heartbreak or pain, anxiety, your kids, whatever it is, you, we all had to endure something this year. And endurance is all about lasting. And if you're here today, if you're watching this, you have lasted. You might be hanging on by a thread, but you're lasting and you're going to last. My prayer is that God would continue to give you the strength to last. But as we look at the words of Peter and we look at the teachings of Peter in First Peter, what I think is so beautiful about this book is that we actually get to know a little bit about the life of Peter. As we read the Gospels, we know who Peter is. We, we know how closely he walked with Jesus. He was the one who denied Jesus three times. I think Pastor Rich so beautifully portrayed that story. He denied Jesus three times, but I think the incredible thing about that is even before he denied Jesus, Jesus spoke life and purpose over him. That's what I love about God, that he knows that we're going to mess up. He, he knows that we're going to make mistakes, but he still chooses to use us. He says to Luke in Luke 22, verse 31 to 32, he says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has obtained permission to come and sift you all like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this, after you've turned your back on me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. And I believe that Peter took those words that he, he took what Jesus told him and he made it his life mission to strengthen the church, to strengthen brothers and sisters. And we see this in his writing. We see this in his teaching that he lives his life to preach the gospel. He, he lives his life to teach and, and tell the church the way that we're supposed to live and follow Jesus. And we're gonna be reading from 1 Peter 5, verse one to six today. And Peter's talking to the elders and he's talking to the flock. He's talking to the church as a whole. And he says this, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's suffering who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you, are who you're, who, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And for the next few moments, I want to talk to you from this thought, humility looks good on you. Come on, why don't you turn to your neighbor? If you're alone, look in the mirror, tell somebody humility looks good on you. What are you wearing? Is that humility? It, it looks good on you. You look better when you, you've got humility on. See, when, when you're wearing humility, you don't look like what you've been through. Because you, you look like God's favor. Humility looks 
good on you. As, as Peter is writing this letter to the elders and to the church, I can't help but to think of just a story in the book of Mark. I can understand that when Peter is writing, he's writing with the knowledge and the wisdom that he's gained from Jesus. And just some of the words that he uses is really calling back to the text. It's calling back to to Mark 10. There's a story where Jesus is with the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and they ask Jesus a question. They say to him in Mark 10, verse 37, let one of us sit at your right and and the other on your left hand. And really what they're asking is for Jesus, I want to I be great. I want to be a leader. I, I want to know how we can matter in your kingdom. And so what Jesus does is he brings all of the disciples together. In Mark 10, verse 41 to 45, it says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were, they were annoyed with them. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave for all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Imagine Peter's in the room when all of this is happening. He's hearing what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is how you lead. This is how you take care of the flock. You you don't do it by lording over them. You don't do it by by excessive force, but you do it through humility. You do it through love. You you do it through serving others. And, And so Peter had this advantage of walking with Jesus and hearing his teachings. And now he's taking those teachings and he's teaching really this group in Asia Minor that's going through persecution. They're facing a lot and he's teaching them, hey, this is the way that you need to lead. This is how you need to lead. He said, all of you, whether you're a leader, whether you're part of the flock, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Charles Spurgeon says this, God hath assistance to the humble, but resistance for the proud. And I think a lot of us have had moments of pride that we're not proud of. We can all agree that we've had this, these moments. I was in L.A. a few weeks ago and was having a good time. was with some friends, and we were hanging out. And, and uh, my brother happened to be in town. I was like, hey, like, why don't we get together? I've got an Airbnb. Why don't we get together and let's, let's have a dinner? If you know anything about me, I love to cook. Um, I love hosting people. I love all of that. Um, but I love to eat. That's like my top thing. I love good food. So uh, during quarantine, um, my brother developed this new, you know, thing. He, he liked to cook too. I, I would say that uh, I'm real to this and I've been doing this and this, he's new to it, you know? And I was like, I'm going to give him a shot. I was like, why don't you cook for our friends? Like, I'll, I'll let you handle the dinner. And so he was like, all right. I was like, let's, let's get some steaks. There's a grill outside. We'll have some fun. I told him what time to show up. He shows up an hour late. And, and I understand why he showed up an hour late. I, told, I thought he was going to get some, like, ribeyes and some skirt steak. This man got a tomahawk steak. He got lobsters. And I was like, I was like whatever, I'm down. Let's do this. And so he's in the kitchen. He's doing his thing. He's cooking. And, and, and so... We're like, you know, the party's going. We're playing Bananagrams. You got, got all these different things going. And it's getting, like, late. It's getting late, late, like, late in the midnight hour. It's like, it's like, it's like East Coast late. Because, you know, our bodies were on East Coast time. We're on the West Coast. Like, it's East Coast late. At this point, it's West Coast late. Like, it's just late. I'm like, it is, like, 2 a.m. our time, and we still haven't eaten. So I go in the kitchen, and I'm like, brother, um, 
can I help you? Is there anything I can do to assist you in the kitchen? Because it's taken a long time. And he's like, he's like, nah, I don't need no help. That's, <laughs> we're from Brooklyn, right? That's how we talk. And I was like, can I help you with this? He's like, no. He's like, can I help you with this? He's like, no. And, and, and this anger just started to rise up on the inside. They talk about like brotherly love and sibling love, but if you have a sibling, sibling tension is just as strong. So I'm trying to hold it together and I'm like, pride cometh before the fall. And I'm like, my best insult is New King James? Like what? Is, I was like, that's all I got? I legit said that and I just walked out the kitchen. I was just, you know you saved when you insult people with the Bible. I was just like, I'm like, that's all I got. I was like, just take my help. Like, why, why can't you just take my help? But that's what pride does, right? It, it's just like, I don't need any help. Like, I got this. Like, no, 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 because if I ask for help, people, people are going to think I'm weak. They're going to think I'm not good enough. They're going to think that I can't do it on, our, on my own. And so instead of asking for help, instead of humbling ourselves, we're just like, I got this. I, I, I can take care of it. I don't want people to know my business. I don't, I don't want people to know what I'm going through. So instead, we suffer in silence and we don't ever tell anybody what we're going through because of pride. Where we can find freedom, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. And we can find healing, but we settle for just being saved. We're just like, I'll be saved, but, but uh, now if, if I have to get healing by telling my brothers and sisters what I'm going through, I'd rather walk around sick. So many of us are walking around sick because we don't want to humble ourselves to tell people what's going on in our lives. I just want to encourage you. You can talk about it. You can humble yourself because God shows favor. He gives assistance. You're looking for help and you can only get it if you humble yourself. You can only get it when you decide to put your pride to the side. See, humility puts pride to the side. Puts pride to the side. Here's another Charles Spurgeon quote. I love him. He says, humility is a qualification for greatness. Do you know how to belittle? You're learning how to be great. Can you submit? You're learning how to rule. We see over and over again in the Bible where it talks about pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Peter says it, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Again and again, the Bible talks about putting pride to the side. We, we all know what pride looks like. Like, have you ever been like really upset and you can kind of move out of that upset moment but you just decide to stick in it? Like, like, you could just get over it, but you're like, no, I'm going to make them feel it. Like, they got to feel that I'm mad. And someone cracks a joke, and, like, you, you, tr you don't want to laugh, and you hold it in just because, like, no, they're going to know that I'm mad. It's like, we've all had those moments where we want to hold and, and we want to be prideful, but pride has ruined opportunities. Pride has ruined friendships and marriages because people have allowed things to go from a molehill to a mountain and, and we're making things bigger than they are when we could have just squashed it in the beginning, but, but we're too prideful. And so when Peter is talking to the elders of the church, he's making it very clear that pride can't be tolerated. That it can't be tolerated on any level. He says all of us need to clothe ourselves in humility. It can't be tolerated on the leader level and it can't be tolerated on the follower level. That we cannot tolerate pride in the church. He's making it really clear. Because pride says I have to, but humility says I get to. Pride says me first, humility says you first. Pride says look at me. When humility is saying, learn from me. Peter is trying to teach the church how to be humble leaders. He's saying we need to live a life of 
humility. He's making sure that they're understanding this important lesson that we have to look different. He's saying you need to look different than the leaders of your time. You, you need to look different than the people around you. See, humble leaders say, I don't have to, I get to. We say this all the time at Blue Church, that I don't have to, I get to. He says this in 1 Peter 5 verse 2, not because you must, but because you're willing. He's saying, I need you to be willing to serve. I need you to be willing to lead. I want you to have the type of spirit that says, I get to be here. I get to be a part of this. I get to do this. Not, not that, oh man, I have to come to church or I have to serve. I have to go to crew. I have to feed my kids. I have to, like all of these have tos. There's so many have tos that are some people's wishes, wishes. People wish they could do some of the things that we're saying that we have to do. See, because when we say I, I get to, it's because we have this understanding of gratitude. That I'm grateful for what I have when I say I get to be here. That, that this is the idea of gratitude that keeps us in a place that we understand that everything that God has given us is a privilege. That everything that God has given us, it's in honor. I get to be here. Like everybody remembers their first day of work. Or, or your first time getting a promotion, you're so excited, right? You tweet about it, hashtag dream job, like, oh, this is the best thing ever. You're so excited, but then four years later, your dream job becomes your nightmare. And it's not because your job changed, but your perspective changed. That you stopped being thankful for it. You, you stopped being grateful for it. Humility says, I get to. I get to be there, that I have this understanding that God has given me favor, that God has given me everything that I have, that I'm not prideful that, oh man, I deserve this or I deserve that. Not this entitled mentality that we might have sometimes where I deserve to have this position. I deserve for people to respect me. God's like, no, we don't say I have to, I get to. It's my honor. Your, your language shifts when you're humble. See, you don't say me first, you say you first that we decide to prefer people, that we put people above ourselves. He says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. That we're eager to serve, that we're saying, hey, you can go before me. In Philippians 2, verse three to eight, Jesus, it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on the cross." It's preferring people. Jesus modeled this. It's saying that you can go before me. It's, it's letting people go before you. It's saying that I am eager to serve somebody. I am eager to allow somebody to take my place. Growing up in elementary school during lunchtime, um, all my illustrations are about food, by the way, just <laughs> let you know. That during lunchtime, like you would, you would see a bunch of different kids would be on different tables and they'll call you table by table. And if you were really hungry, you'd notice that there was a really long line and you're like, okay, how do I skip this line? That was, that was your mentality. You were thinking, this is how we thought. We're like, all right, I gotta look for a friend. You, it gotta be a friend. If it's an acquaintance, it might not go well. So you gotta look for a friend and you go up to the friend and you ask them a question. Say, hey, can I get a skip? 
and they can answer one of three ways. It's not a yes or no question. It's, it's three options there. It's like they can just say, yes, you can get a skip, say no, or they'll say, you can't get a skip, but you can get a back skip. Yeah. I don't know if y'all know about the back skip. In Brooklyn, we had the back skip where it's like, you can't get in front of the line, but you can get behind me. And so you have to be really careful with the back skip. You got to turn around and look at if the person behind you can't fight. If they can fight, you don't take that back skip. You just walk away because many fights, 272, PS 272, my school started because of the back skip. I'm telling you, you got to make sure it's like, if they can't fight, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good here. Yes, I'll take the back skip. And so it's this idea of you can get ahead, but you can't get ahead of me. Right? We, we live in a back skip culture. Like, I, I want to see you do well, but don't do well before me. I, you, can, you can get a new job, you can get married, you can have kids, but don't do it before me. You can climb the ladder of success, but I want to get up before you so I can pull you up. That, that's our culture, but we live in a kingdom culture that says, I prefer you, that you can go ahead of me, that you can go before me, that, that I want to see you go further, I want to see you go faster, I want to see you do better in life than me, that if you're on the ladder of success and I'm behind you, I want to push you up. We live in this you first, you can go before me. I prefer people. It's, it's humility. And the thing about humility, it's not me looking at myself like I'm less, but it's thinking of myself less. It's not always about me, right? We always have this me, me, me narrative. It's, it's all about me. It's, it's what I need, and, and this is what I need right now. But the gospel is telling us that we need to prefer people. That we need to put people before us. That Jesus showed this. Jesus modeled this. And this is who we follow. If Jesus could put people before himself and he was God, I think we can learn how to put people before us. I think we can learn how to start thinking about other people. I think we can start living a life where if I'm praying, I'm not just praying for my needs, but I'm thinking and I'm praying for the needs of others that I'm saying, you first. You first. Humility changes your language. Humility doesn't say, look at me. It says, learn from me. It says, 1 Peter 5 verse 3 says, not lording, lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. That I want to be an example that the position of leadership is not for you to say, look at me, I'm so great and I'm so successful and I'm so good at this and I'm so good at that. It's no, no, no I want to teach you. I want you to learn from me. I want to bring you in. I want you to see what I see. I want to, I want to bring you into what's happening. Learn from me. I, I want to teach. I'm not trying to keep all my knowledge and all my goodness to myself. I want you to learn from me. I love what Pastor Rich says. He says, your presence shouldn't should be encouraging, not impressive. If people leave from anything with you, they shouldn't be like, oh man, I'm so impressed with them. They're so incredible. They should be like, wow, I'm so encouraged. They just inspired me that, that our goal should be when we go out to coffee and when we hang out with people as leaders, that people leave thinking more of themselves. That people don't leave thinking, oh man, my leader is so incredible and they're so good at everything and, and, and I'm good at nothing. No, they should leave like, wow, I'm incredible. I'm amazing. There's a gift on my life. Like, we have that opportunity to look at people in the eyes and pull out the greatness in them. You can learn from me. Clothe yourself with humility. 
There's so many people out here walking around underdressed because they're not clothed in humility. That God has called you into a new season. He said, hey, don't, don't forget humility in this new season. You're just like, I don't know, humility doesn't look good on me. doesn't match with my outfit. And, and you leave it alone and you step into the new season without humility. And you look like a fool because you don't have what you need to keep you to the, in the place that God has brought you in. See, like, like, you haven't been to a party and they give you a dress code. In Miami, all of the dress codes are Miami chic. No one knows what that means. And you walk in, right? Say somebody invited you to a black tie fair and you show up like you're going to a pool party at the Fountain Blue. You look kind of crazy. They're like, I think you need to go home and change. But that's what a lot of us look like stepping into the new season that God has called us to. We look underdressed that we don't have the thing that's supposed to cover us. And we don't have the thing that's supposed to keep us in this new season. A lot of us just need to uninvite pride from our lives. That pride is not invited to the party. I don't have a plus one for my pride. You can't go where I'm going. My pride can't go into my new season. My pride can't go into what God is doing in me. And through, I'm checking my pride at the door. You can't sit with me, pride. Pride can't go where God wants to lead you. I'm telling you, if you put on humility, you really, you'll realize that it looks good on you. That you'll realize that it looks the best on you. That, that when you're humble, there's something that changes about your smile. That when you're humble, there's something that changes about you. That people notice that they can't figure it out. It's not that they're looking at you thinking that you're the most talented and the greatest person. It's like there's something special about that person. And what's special about you is your humility. It looks good on you. Humility puts pride to the side. But humility also puts God on display. Humility puts God on display. Our goal as Christ followers, what we are called to do is to put God on display. That people need to see Christ in us. That what people need to see is a good God and they can see it through us. Peter, as he is talking to the elders of the church, what he's telling them to do is, this, he says this in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. He's telling them that when Jesus appears, that they are going to receive a crown of glory. And now the chief shepherd is Jesus, and, and the point of the elders is to stand and represent Jesus. So they need to look like Jesus. So when he's telling the elders to be eager to serve, that's because that's what Jesus would do. When, when he's telling the elders how to watch over the flock, because that is what Jesus would do. He's saying that before the chief shepherd appears, you are here to stand in this place. You are here to represent him. You're supposed to be here to look like Jesus, that the world needs to see Jesus in us that if the world's gonna see Jesus in us, we have to look different. We have to sound different. We can't fight like the world. We, we can't do the same thing as the world. Our leaders, our church have to look different. We, we're different. We put God on display. We, we don't put our own agenda on display. We don't put our own thoughts and ideas on display. We need to put God on display. We need to look different. We are standing in place of the chief Shepherd, that is our responsibility. Election day is coming up on Tuesday, and I know, shh, don't talk about the election. But as we're going through this, this time, I think this year has been so difficult for us, and, and what we have noticed is that for some reason in the church that we've allowed our political party affiliation to divide us when the love of Jesus should unite us. 
that we should be united by the love of Jesus, not dividing by who we're going to vote for. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I don't think there's going to be two heavens. Like, if you're in America, uh, you know the election's coming up. There's not going to be like a Democratic heaven and a Republican heaven. I know Paul talks about a new heaven and a new earth, but I don't think he meant it in that way. And and so if we can't coexist in humanity, how do we expect to do it in eternity? That I think that it's really important for us to get it right down here. That it's important for us to get it right. That I don't always have to agree with you, but I have to choose to love you. That I don't have to always agree with everything that you say, but I want to choose love. That's how we put God on display. When we choose to love. Because what the world needs to see is a good God. What the world needs to see is is a compassionate God. The world needs to see a loving God. And the only way they're going to see it is through you. The way that they're going to see it is through our conversations. They're going to see it through our behavior, through how we act. Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That is who we are. So what are we putting on display? When people look at us, what do they see? Do they see our success? Do they see who we're going to vote for? Do do they see all of these things about us or do they see God? Can they see God in us? During Christmas time in New York City, there's, there's always these different Christmas displays where you see all these beautiful, extravagant things on the storefront. And what you know about those stores is they have lots of different things on the different aisle, but they choose what to put on display. They decide what they're going to put on display. And us as Christians, yes, we have different thoughts, we have different opinions, different things, but we need to choose what am I going to put on display? What are people going to see when they see me? What is the first thing that they're going to see when they see me? Are they going to see that I put myself on display? Are they they going to see that I put my accolades on display? Are they going to see that I've decided to put God on display? That is our mandate. Humility puts God on display. But see, humility also puts you on the path to purpose. Puts you on the path to purpose. As Jesus is talking to the sons of Zebedee and he's talking to his disciples about what greatness looks like, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. He's telling them that you have to be a servant, that you have to serve, that you have to love, that that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so when we're thinking, hey, what is the path to purpose look like? What does it look like living a life of purpose? And living a life of purpose looks like service to others. It looks like serving one another. It it looks like loving people. It looks like caring for people. That is the purpose that God has given us. If you're wondering, okay, why have I been placed on this earth? Why am I here? What, What has God called me to do? God has called you to serve someone. And God has called someone else to serve you. It's really simple. God's like, if I can just get my people to get their eyes off of themselves for a second, it's not that I don't love them or care about them, but if I can get them to start looking at people, they can love people the right way. I think there's a lot of wars. There's a lot of tension in our world that would not even be an issue if we looked at people the way that God looked at people. That that we wouldn't have to deal with some of the things that we've gone through in history if people just looked at another human being and said, I love you. God has called me to serve you. He didn't call me to oppress you. He didn't call me to hurt you. If 
we looked at people that way, if we actually followed the mandate of God, because we can ask ourselves, why in the world would God put so much emphasis on serving other people? I think he knew that there's this innate thing in us, this pride that lives in us. We all deal with this sin of pride. It's like, if I don't deal with their pride, they're gonna go to ruin. If I don't deal with what's inside of them, this world will go to ruin. So he made the greatest thing that he's called us to do is to serve other people. That the greatest ask out of Jesus Christ was for us to serve other people, for us to humble ourselves and love other people because something shifts when we choose to love. Something changes when we choose to love our brothers and our sisters. It's like, yes, you blessed them, but it changes something in my heart. Like, yeah, you did something for them, but there's something down on the inside of me changes. That the greatest accomplishment of Jesus' life was serving us. That he was God, but he humbled himself even unto death, death on the cross. He humbled himself. Dr. James Allen, he talks about a man who let humility put him on the path of purpose. You might know him. He was born in an obscure village to a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village. He was a carpenter for 30 years. He, He didn't have much. He didn't own a home. He didn't have a family, he didn't have a car, he, he never went to college, he never traveled 200 miles from the city that he was born. He didn't write a book, he didn't write a song, he did none of these things that are usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials of his own. At 30, he became an itinerant preacher. But when he was only 33, his friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was given away to his enemies and he went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners, they gambled for his clothing, the only thing on earth he had. When he was dead, he was buried in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Close to 2,000 years have come and gone. And today, Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. And we look at our lives and we're just like, well, well, I don't have the car yet and I'm not married yet and I don't have the two kids and I don't have all these things and my life must not look good because I haven't accomplished anything. But Jesus had none of these things, but still made the greatest impact. And you might ask yourself, what is God calling you to do? He's calling you to love your brothers and sisters. He's calling us to learn how to serve. Because sometimes we think that humility looks like this, but really humility looks like humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. It looks like getting at His feet and worshiping Him. It looks like loving our brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, when you, when you begin to think like this, you'll realize that humility looks good on you. 
that, that we think that, well, maybe if I get a Grammy, if I get an Oscar, if I get an Emmy, then I'll be important. But God's like, can you just serve somebody? If you're looking for your purpose, find somebody to serve. If you're trying to figure out what's my purpose, find somebody to love, Some, find somebody to care about. This is what God has called us to do, for us to humble ourselves before Him and to worship Him and, and to put our pride to the side and to lay it down. Peter talks about us being living stones and really what that looks like is me just laying aside all the weights. It's, it's me laying aside my pride. It's me laying aside my greatness. It's, it's me laying aside my anxiety and laying aside my pain and saying, God, I will lay it down so that you can build on me. That God, I will lay it all down so that you can build on me. That God, if you need somebody to build on, God, I lay down whatever I need to lay down so that you can build on me. Come on, somebody ought to say, God, you can build on me. God, you can build on me. God, you can build on me. I want to lay it down. I want to lay it down. I want to lay it down so that God could build on me. I want to lay it down so that God could build, so that he can build his temple, so that he could build whatever he desires to build. But I know that it's going to require me to lay some things down. I know it's gonna require me to lay down my pride. I know it's gonna uh, require me to lay down my past. It's gonna require me to lay down my pain. It's gonna require something of me. And maybe you're in this room on the Zoom, on the Facebook, YouTube, whatever it is, and you're saying, God, I will lay it down so that you can build on me. Why don't you just lift your hand? I believe that God wants to build up his church, that this season and this year has not been by accident, but it's been because God wants to build something in the church, that God wants to build something in the body of Christ, that God wants to do something in us and through us, that he is preparing us. And he needs people that he can build on. He needs people that he can trust. He, he can trust you when you decide to clothe yourself in humility that he can trust you when you decide to lay it all down. God, we lay down our hurt. God, we lay down our pain. We lay down our anxiety. Father, we lay it all down and we say that you can build on us. That we say that you can have your way, that whatever it is that you're doing in this season and in this time, God, we just wanna be obedient to you. That God teaches how to love one another better. God, teach us how to lead people better. God, just teach us what you want us to learn, who you're calling us to be. And God, I pray that we would be humble enough to say that we will sit at your feet to learn. That we are humble enough to say that we will sit at your feet to receive all that you have. God, we humble ourselves before you. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.